You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Not by my power, not by my might, but by the Holy Spirit of God. I love that song. Um, Reminds us that we do nothing uh, but what he gives us and what we do through him. Um, I love this series of promise. Uh, Our God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. That's who he is. That's his essence, right? It's his very nature. I love that. Uh, I want to read our series texts from Exodus 3.17. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey from Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. A promise-making and a promise-keeping God. You ever just wake up in the morning? I'm an early riser, and the first thing as you open your eyes is to say, he kept his promise again. And you also realize that if you didn't wake up and you're in the presence of God, you could say, he kept his promise again. What great security, right? When I wake up, that's what I've asked the Holy Spirit over the last several years to do. The minute I wake up is to remember that he kept his promise again, that Jesus says, I will sustain all things, I will uphold all things, and he, he did it again. The other promise we see from Galatians is... At just the right time, or at the fullness of time, God made a promise and he sent forth his son. And at just the right time, he made a promise that he's going to take us all home. And we should sit there and rest in that, in that promise. So I'm going to read Exodus 15, 21 through 27. That's our text for today. So if you want to turn there or open it in your iPads or iPhones or Androids. Sorry, Sean. Uh, uh, this is what the Word of God says. Then Moses, we're starting in verse 21 of chapter 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. There it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. There's a lot of rich truths in this text. Um, And I was going through it and said, where do I really want to go with this? So I thought of looking about thirst and water, and that's a good place to go, but I didn't go there. And I looked at it more, 
and then I sat back like we always should do when we look at the Bible, and I looked at its text within its context. And the text of this passage comes right after this beautiful song of Moses, this beautiful hymn right after the Red Sea. Um, so I'm going to read parts of that. Chapter 15, verse 1 starts this way. I'm just going to read portions of it so you kind of get the spirit of what they sang. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. gloriously. The horse and his rider has, he has thrown in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. He goes on to say in verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like your majestic and holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. A little while later, after the song, Miriam, Moses' sister, does this. Then Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Aaron, excuse me, Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang them, Sing to the Lord, for he has gloriously triumphed the horse and the rider he has thrown in the sea. So what we see here at the beginning of this text is a joyous glorifying of God in song based on what he did at the Red Sea. And then we actually see a parade. They go out, leaving the Red Sea, and Miriam is leading them with some other ladies with tambourines. What a beautiful, God-glorifying event for what God did at the Red Sea. The problem is it didn't endure. It didn't last. And that's when I, I got to look at the context. I said, that's where I think I need to sit today. Where's my endurance coming from? So we're going to look at a lot of scripture today uh, because I want, I want it to soak in. Because be quite honest, God's word can talk about this much better than Tim Ira can. So we're going to walk through some scripture on where does our endurance come from. And because of where our endurance comes from, we have to realize that we have been blessed, Hebrews tells us that, to live on this side of the cross. Living on this side of the cross is what Moses was hoping for. It's what Abraham hoped for. It's what David hoped for. So we're going to, we're going to walk through that. I find it interesting that the people got weary and faint-hearted and grumbled. They had a lack of faith. And I think it's astonishing based on how this chapter starts. Three days. Three days. They cross the Red Sea. They sing this beautiful song. Just think about, picture yourself in you, in, after the song is being sung by a multitude. History tells us maybe in the millions. Uh, and then you hear these tambourines playing, and you're starting to march in the wilderness. And your, your adrenaline's flowing, right? Day one. Day two, probably about the same. By day three, what do we see? Complaints. Grumblings. They'd already, they've already forgot what God did at the Red Sea. It wasn't enough. Parting a sea wasn't enough. Speaks to the heart of man a lot, doesn't it? So we, we kind of picked that up. 
They complain about what they had. They complain about what they didn't have. They complain about how long the journey's been. It's been three days and we're thirsty. They've been in captivity for 400 years. And in three days into this journey, for them, it's all falling apart. They've seen everything that God did in Egypt. And in three days, in a little bit of thirst, they're falling apart. Now, I get that. You realize living in the desert and walk as much as they do, they'd have to consume at least a gallon per person. And if you didn't have a gallon per person, you were probably dead in three to four days. So I understand that time, right? There's no running water. Uh, they're carrying water and probably leaking cracked clay pots or anything they can put it in. If by any account there's 100,000 or a million of them, you're carrying one day or three day supplies about 4 million gallons of water, right? So I understand their, maybe a little bit of their angst. But they just came out one of the greatest miracles of all time, right? Uh, Bill talked about that uh, a week ago, right? And they're, they're backed up and it said, Our Lord will fight for us. And what happens? He fights marvelously for them. Three days. It's not like it's months. It's not like it's years. It's not like it's decades. It's not like it's centuries or millenniums. It's three days. And they're a bit thirsty. And the first water they come to, it's bitter. And now they're panicking. And now they're grumbling. So, who shows faith in all this? Moses does. Right? Moses cries out. And instantaneously, the water's drinkable. He didn't have to go mix something. God asked him to pick up a log, put the log in the water, and the water makes it sweet. There's a lot of interesting commentaries on that. Uh, our old church fathers in the first three, 400 years always saw the log as a reflection of the cross. And I don't have a hard time getting there. The problem is they saw that word as tree, but in the Hebrew, it's most always a log or a branch and not a tree. If it would have been the word that is used most often for tree, I think that, that analogy would be really good. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think that's the center point of this text. There's a lot of other center points of that text in other parts of the Bible. I think the point of this is God commanded Moses to do something. Moses, in faith, obeyed put the log in, a miracle killed, and instantaneously they had water. Instantaneously. Then he said, I will test them, and he laid out some tests. That Hebrew word for test is really interesting. Literally, it really has this connotation. To subject to difficulty in order to prove the quality of someone or something. Let me say that again. This Hebrew word uh, that's translated, he tested. A lot of times in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's uh, translated um, to prove. To, it's to subject to difficulty in order to prove the quality of someone or something. That's how God works in us. He gives us difficult things to do to prove his quality. And that number one quality is I will always, always, always fulfill what I'm asking you to be tested upon. 
And on this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit that we can actually accomplish what he asks us to do. Because I have the mind of Christ. That's the beauty of this side of the cross. 17 times in the Old Testament that word is used. In Genesis 22.1, we all know this story. I will test you, Abraham, take your son up to this mountain and sacrifice it. Same word. What was a quality? That's a difficult thing, right? He's, ta- he's telling Abraham, Abraham, trust me, take your son up, prepare a sacrifice. I'm going to have you sacrifice your only son. The son that I promised you, you would have in a miracle birth that would be your heritage for the promise that I would make you the father of all. The son that is the seed, seed, seed that Christ comes out of. And what's the quality of God he's showing there? I am faithful. I will provide what I'm asking you to be faithful and know that I will provide. David says in Psalms 26, 23, prove me, O Lord. The word prove is tested. Prove or test me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. So God says, I will provide water for you. I'll provide life. I'll provide health. And I will, at some point in my plan, provide you with the very faithfulness you need to carry out what I ask. The interesting thing in this text, read the very last text, the very last verse we're looking at. So they, they grumble, they get water. God puts them to the test. In verse 27, he says, Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there. Does it end right there? They encamped there what? By the water. So, day one, singing, joyful, a parade, glorifying God. Day two, we really don't know, but we can assume they're still kind of joyous. Day three, they're grumbling. They're out of water. They're moaning and groaning. The first water they come to, it's bitter. Oh, it's bitter water. God's abandoned us. Because if God was faithful, he would have bring us to good water. The test, one of the tests was, what is your reaction, O Israel, going to be when the first water I bring you to is bitter? And they failed it. And it doesn't give us much distance here. But in the way it's worded, it's very, it's the very same day or maybe early the next day that what do they find? Twelve springs and 70 trees. Their faithfulness just quite didn't make the mark. And that's been Israel's habit all the way through the Old Testament. Grumble, 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 complain, grumble. Times of great faith, times of horrible faith. Times of great faith, times of horrible faith. At the same time, God always shown his faithfulness to him. So what I want to transition to is, if that's the lesson here, and I think it's the main lesson of this text, God is faithful. We need to endure. They only had to endure maybe a few more hours. Maybe another night, 
scripture's not clear, but it was very, very close in the time frame of the bitter water, and they would have found God's provision of 12 springs. Because imagine trying to fill up four million gallons of water. You're going to have some pretty lively, thank you. <laughs> it's as good as an amen, Eric. I mean, uh, Ben. To fill that much water, those had to be really, really good springs. And if there's 70 trees there, they're really, really good springs. God always keeps his promise. Three days. What is our faith? Is our faith like that some days? It's good, and then all of a sudden in three days, something happens, get a little thirsty, spiritually or not. So I'm going to walk through several uh, New Testament texts now to show... um, I'm going to use the word, the privilege, that in God's plan, Ephesians says, before the foundations of the world, John, I chose you in Christ Jesus. He created you for this period of how he's going to work. And he tells us in Hebrews 11, that's a privilege. It's a privilege to be his people on this side of the cross. So if you want, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Because it's a story, the author of Hebrews looks at Moses in the desert. Remember, Moses didn't get to go to the promised land, did he? Remember that all these people that grumbled about the water, that if they would have walked a little bit longer, would have found this beautiful spring, didn't get to go into the promised land. And it was because of their rebellion and their lack of faith that that whole generation didn't get to go into the promised land. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, uh, by faith, Moses... Excuse me. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, get this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The author of Hebrews takes us all the way back to Moses and say, Moses saw something in God's promise, and when he didn't get it, he realized there's something better. Why? Because he knew God was a promise-keeping God. When he wasn't allowed to to go over Canaan, Moses knew that this is not the, the ultimate promise. That's what the author of Hebrews sees in the Genesis, Exodus, excuse me, in the Exodus story. For just as Christ, this is my commentary on that text, just as Christ endured hardship for God's people, Moses also set aside riches and endured hardship for God's people. There is a pattern of this throughout Scripture. Just as Christ was faithful to his father and endured hardship, Moses did the same. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of to, to anger of the king, for he endured in seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Move a little, move all the way down to the very end of Hebrews. We're looking at, we'll start in verse 39 and we're going to work our way through 12.3. So we're in Hebrews eleven thirty nine. 39. 
And all of these, they'll commend it through their faith. Okay, so he's going all the way back to the, the, whole, the whole text on all those who are the great faith, right? All of these, who, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And the something better for us is Jesus, pure and simple. That's what they were looking forward to. Abraham did not see the promise, but he died knowing that God is a promise-keeping God. And so if Abraham didn't receive the promise, he knew that there's something better that will accomplish the promise. Did he know it was Jesus? No, but he knew that God's a promise-keeping God. Moses did that. David did that. Isaiah did that. Jeremiah did that. Solomon did that. And they all endured hardships. Jesus has always been the focus of the promise. Canaan was a type or a foreshadowing of heaven. Moses was looking forward to this time. Oh, church, do we understand the blessings in which we live in this time? Do we understand the blessing it is to be the bride of Christ? To be living the fulfillment of God's promise to man. Where does grumbling fit in this? What's the remedy? Chapter 12, continue on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Grumbling about God is a sin. Which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You ever read, I mean, really just slowly read uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17? It's a joyful prayer. You ever read Luke 22? Oh, Father, if it's your will to take this away from me, take it away. Oh, Father, but not your will be done, but mine. It doesn't say that my Savior went to the cross grumbling or complaining or saying, God, the Father, can we do this a different way? He went to the cross joyfully, despising the shame and is seated, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, this is us. Consider him who endured for sinners, for my sins, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. People, we don't live in the wilderness. We live in the kingdom. Do we own that? Do you believe that? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. We don't live in the wilderness. We don't have to be thirsty spiritually. We are instilled with the mind of God and the Holy Spirit to live 
faithfully. That's the privilege this side of the cross. What's the remedy for our grumbling? That's why I love that. It's always interesting because we, Bill and I never talk to Ben about the Psalms. But today's song, not by my power, not by my might, I'm changing the words a little bit, but by the Holy Spirit of God. The remedy for grumbling is not in me. It's by the Holy Spirit of God. You can turn to Galatians 5. We are to live in a different manner, and we are capable of living that way. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's the remedy for complainers. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, I love buts, best word in all the Bible is a but. Right? Here's, here's something, and then they say, but you can do this. But this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, grumbling, complaining that I don't have what others have, or the music wasn't good today, or I don't like the way he teaches. And that's what Paul says we are not to be envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. We as believers can't say, well, I've got this fruit, but I don't have this one. Singular. Don't think of a bunch of fruits sitting on a table of fruits of the Spirit. Think of an orange. One fruit, different parts. We all have the power to live this way. Where am I? Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Complaining has been crucified on the death of Christ. All those bad things above are dead. They're dead to us. You see, we are indwelled by the God, the Holy Spirit, empowered with the mind of Christ. We know that water that quenches our thirst actually conquers death. We are not going to die of thirst in a spiritual wilderness. This side of the cross, if you're a believer. That's the importance of community. That's the importance of being engaged in the church. That's part of the remedy. This remedy is built on the blood of Christ to be in community, to be together in church, because that's how it works. That's how it's held up. One more passage. 
A bit of a long one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can turn there if you'd like to too. I love this passage. And I, when I came to you, brothers, do not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul's saying here, I didn't come to you speaking elegant, eloquently, for I, for I decided to know, know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I know. Basically, he's saying, I'm not superior to anyone. I'm not elegant. I just know Christ. Chapter, verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. If we believe what Paul says is not because I'm brave or bold or elegant, I'm not. Thus, everything you're hearing is all from God and the Holy Spirit and not me. And my speech, back to Scripture, verse 4, and my speech and my message were not as plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, as the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. So all this wisdom, Jesus Christ, crucified, Holy Spirit given on Pentecost, is the wisdom we know that God decreed before the ages. The promise of my salvation God made before he said, let there be light. And he kept it about 40 years ago. Because he's a promise-making and promise-keeping God. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, then he quotes Isaiah 64, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Neither human wisdom or human perception or human reasoning can perceive the wisdom of God in our salvation. Who would have thought that? Apollos would have never crucified his son. The God of Egypt would have never crucified his son. The God of India would have never crucified his son to pay for sinners. You read anything about the Aztecs and the Incas to, to uh, fix sinning, they certainly didn't crucify the king's son. They crucified the poor people's sons. They crucified, they sacrificed them, right? The wisdom of God is in his promise that he made before the foundations of the world that I'm going I'm to reveal myself to you. You're going to struggle with who I am. And you're going to struggle to the point of the commands that I put in place, you're never going to be able to keep. But I've got something better. At just the right time, that we says in Galatians, just the right time in history, Christ came forward. God's 
plan was revealed. That, oh, Timothy, you can never live up to this. But I so love my son that I'm going to give him as a gift to you, Timothy, to pay for your sins. And then you, also, Timothy, are going to love my son just like I love him. goes on in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. We have the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Who's sitting at that well thousands of years ago fully, not even fully, but understood God? One person, Moses. We, everyone sitting in this room, can understand him all the same. There's not one person in here that at some time, gifted with teaching, gifted with the Holy Spirit to get up here and preach, couldn't do this in certain settings. As we impart these words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned. The unsaved world can't understand these. What he's telling us. Why can we understand them? Why can everybody sit in this room understanding You're a spiritual being. The death of Christ ushered in Pentecost, which ushered in the Holy Spirit, which gave every one of us in here the ability to understand this. That's why the author of Hebrews in 12 goes, this is what Moses looked forward to. This verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I hope that gave you chills. It's given me chills every time I've read it in the last week. That's who you are as a child of God. That's some of the things we forget on the cross. There's an old saying I... uh, I don't know when it started. I remember hearing it 21 years ago that a lot of people are perfectly happy with their get-out-of-hell-free card, and that's all the Father they want to go in their salvation. Wow, they're missing out on everything. In a life, 20-year life like that, somebody ought to come talk to them about the gospel again. End with this. We can understand the foolishness of the gospel because we have been granted ability through Christ alone. Lack of water here does not kill us. The journey to our home in heaven does not take us through a life in the wilderness. Where is grumbling? Where is the wilderness? It's been crucified with Christ. I'm going to turn to Jude 16. I'm going to pray through a few verses in Jude. So you're welcome to Jude. 
Jude, verse 16. I'm going to pray through these verses as our closing prayer. So you can follow along as I do that, or you can just listen. Holy Father, your Holy Spirit inspired you to say this. But we must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. Holy Father, let us uh, let's be able to discern those scoffers. Let us hold up the bride of Christ, the church, as a place to, uh, to help all see clearly scoffers and complainers and people that cause division. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, you brothers and sisters, God, let this fellowship be so entrenched in um, loving one another, building up one another, that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, and keeping ourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and having mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Father, give us heart for the lost. Give us heart for the troubled. Give us heart for our brothers and sisters that are struggling in faith and our immature brothers and sisters and come alongside them lovingly, patiently, and enduring as you did your people in Israel and as you do the church. And here's his doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.